All right, let's dive in. We're going to be in the book of Daniel this morning. If you haven't done it yet, hop on the Vintage Guest Wireless Network. You can download the teaching notes there. I won't be going systematically through the notes. We'll be kind of meandering around them a bit. There is, um, on the notes, you'll find a, uh, I don't normally do this, but on the notes, you'll find a really pretty little color chart. Um, the reason we're doing that is as we dive into the book of Daniel, we've been in the New Testament for the entire journey of vintage. We're in our eighth year now, and we have, we've done uh, the book of Luke. We did that for a long time, um, and then we did 1 Corinthians, and, and we're diving into the book of Daniel. What I love about the Old Testament is where the New Testament will give you how to live, what to do, what not to, the Old Testament will show what it looked like for God to deal with people's lives. It will show the way he... What he spoke to them, how they managed it, how they handled it, and what the outcome was. And so the narrative of the Old Testament is so important for us to learn from. I also love the book of Daniel because one of my great pet peeves in the kingdom, probably my biggest pet peeve in the kingdom, is his name was not Abednego. It's Abednego, if you look at it in the text. So I'm, that's the only thing I care about, the book of Daniel, you remember. His name is Abednego. Good syntax, good students, we pronounce them right. That's really not the only thing I care about, but... It really is a giant pet peeve. My wife used to make fun of me because every time I would teach on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, she's like, it's not Abednego. I'm like, it is. Read it. I promise. <laughs> what I love about the Old Testament, what I love about Daniel is, is if you look at Daniel, he's one of the four major prophets in Scripture. So we have Ezekiel. We have Isaiah. We have Jeremiah. We have Daniel. They're, they're contemporaries. And Jesus, will, in, in Matthew 24, will quote out of Daniel. So we, we know that Daniel's a man that's worth paying attention to if Jesus is going to quote from him. Ezekiel, one of his contemporaries in chapter 14, will say this of Daniel. He puts Daniel into the same sentence as a man of righteousness equal to Noah and Job. So he's a man for us to learn from. The themes of this book that I want us to focus on, they're incredible because what it is, is it's a book that talks about the faithfulness of God in the midst of difficulty. There's a thing I would call beautiful faith that you see in Daniel, which is people that have the guts to follow God regardless of the consequences, and we get to see what comes out of that in their lives. So today, we're not going to focus very much on Daniel. We're going to use really the first three words in Daniel, and we're going to begin to build some historical text. We're going to get a framework, because I don't think we can understand this book very well if we don't understand what's going on at the time in the world that it's happening, and if we don't understand who, who is at the throne, and how many of you have read Old Testament? How many of you have avoided it like the plague? So if you look at the books of Kings and Chronicles, there's this statement that they will make about kings. There's one of two statements that's made about every king that Israel or Judah ever has. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, or he did what was pleasing in the sight of the Lord. These are the two statements. Now here's an incredible principle that I think we should just learn from that. God will allow in Israel and his people, so Israel, the people of God, God will allow in his people a principle that as it goes with the leader, so it goes with the people. So if a leader's heart was passionate for God, the people would follow and move into that. If the leader's heart was corrupt and not hungry for God, the people would follow that. I would love to submit to you something simple, that that is still how God works. And so when we're in headship, like men, you're the head of your house. This is what the scriptures would teach. Your pursuit of God actually shapes the pursuit of God for the people around you. It opens the door for your family to move into something or it shuts the door for them not to. It doesn't just happen in our homes. You say, what happens if I'm a single mom? That role is yours. You are there as the headship over the home. It's the same principle. So it makes that pursuit of God in us so important. I would go this far. You're the main signer on a lease and you've got a bunch of roommates. Set the tone for that house and chase God. 
You're a manager in a workplace. It's just, it's work. They're not believers. I don't care. You are. Your headship sets the tone. You're able to declare things. Did you know that you can walk through the marketplace and call things that aren't as though they are? That is what the scriptures would teach us. That we can shape people's journey towards God because he will allow us to lift into authority. That's what I love about the church. I believe that God is doing that in this season. Sons and daughters are being put into positions of authority and leadership because it's the heart of the Father to release the kingdom on the world. Man, that was so much better than your reaction. It's okay, I just was like, that's a really strong statement, you should hold on to it. So what we see here, you're taking notes. What we see here in Daniel is a man in the first three words, his name is Jehoiakim. Now what's interesting about Jehoiakim, it says during the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, Jehoiakim should have never been on the throne. In this time, kingship was passed to the firstborn. Jehoiakim is not the firstborn. Jehoiakim was actually not his name. His name was Eliakim. And the way he ascended to the throne means we have to take a look at his father and find out what happened. How many are familiar with the name Josiah? Josiah is Jehoiakim's father. Now, Josiah is one of these interesting kings in scripture because in Josiah's, prior to Josiah, all the kings that came in front of him for several generations, the phrase attached to them was, did evil in the sight of the Lord. And then Josiah comes on the scene, takes the throne at age eight, according to Chronicles. And the phrase attached to him was, did what was pleasing in the sight of the Lord. He's on the scene, he's, he's eight years old. Now how many know an eight-year-old king's probably not making very many decisions? An eight-year-old king's being catered to. Never gonna have a need. He's got servants and attendants. His life is super easy. But there's something about this man, Josiah, Jehoiakim's father, that's interesting. It says when he's 16, at age 16, he does something that the scriptures would, would say, that he begins to seek the God of his ancestor, David. Eight years on the throne, being catered to, and all of a sudden, as a 16-year-old, he makes a decision, he makes a choice, he makes a movement, and I want to look at that choice and that movement. Now instantly we could talk to young people and go, look, he's 16, we're gonna talk. I'm, that's wonderful. If you are here and you are 16, I want you to hear this, that this man who had no reason in the world to make a choice for God because everybody that had been around him prior to him was pagan, the, he had no reason. He somehow decided at 16, what I need most in life is God. But that's not just a 16-year-old decision. That's a decision that all of us have to be willing to make at this point. Josiah began to seek the God of his ancestor David. This phrase here, began to seek, is what I want to look at. In this word began, in the Hebrew, the word means something very unique. It means to bore into. It's the idea of carving out space in something. So let's say we have a, a piece of limestone or, or a piece of rock and we're going to try to carve out a space into it. There's going to have to be an intentional decision made, a repetitive motion decision made to be able to carve something out that creates space there. That is what this word is. It began to seek. This word seek means to frequent or to tread upon. So what we put it together, what, what happens is the choice that Josiah makes at 16 that's so important for us to understand is that he began a systematic daily encounter with God. He made a choice to carve out a place in his life where him and God could hang out.
Josiah's in Israel, people of God. I would love to draw a parallel for that. We're in the kingdom. We've come into faith in Jesus. The gift of salvation has been given to us. That gift doesn't make that choice for us. This choice is proprietary and personal. Each of us in the kingdom has to make the decision. Will I, like Josiah, make the choice to begin to carve out systematic space for God and I? If we look at Josiah's life a little closer, the next thing he does after he makes this decision to seek God Somebody finds the scripture. Now, somehow, the kings had been so evil that nobody had read the scriptures. Nobody knew where they were at. Nobody, nobody had, had paid attention to them. And, and one of his advisors finds the, the scroll in the temple. And they bring it to him. And, and as a young man, at 16 years of age, he begins to open the, the scriptures. And he starts weeping as he reads them. And he makes this statement in Chronicles he says, I get it. I know why God is not for us. I know why things aren't going well around us. We haven't been doing what this says we're supposed to do. Wow, what a principle. It is one thing to carve out space in your life to spend time with his voice. It's an entirely different thing to begin to be a person who would say, I will submit my life to the authority of the scriptures and do what they say because I know there's a favor and there's a blessing. And maybe you're here and you say, you know what, my life has been a wreck. I'd just love to encourage you to begin to make that discipline that Josiah made, to begin to spend time in the scriptures and submit your life to them. What does that mean? It's very simple. It means I'm gonna do what they say and I'm not gonna do what they say not to do. I think the secret to submitting your life to the scriptures is to be willing to have the courage, to have the faith, to have the humility to set aside how you feel and begin to make decisions about how you live. I was having a conversation with a friend this week and we were talking about morality. And you ever have those moments where something comes out of you and you're like, that was so not me. It was way better than I could ever think of. And I made the statement to him. I said, you know, Morality doesn't create purity. Good boundaries do. And it was like one of those mic drop moments in my head where I was like, you see, the secret isn't wanting God more. The secret is having the humility to be willing to live as God said and put that boundary on your life. I'm gonna live what the scripture teaches. And if the scripture says don't do it, I won't do it. If the scripture says it's sin, I'm gonna view it as sin. But what if I want it? You see, it's a boundary because what we're saying to ourselves is it doesn't matter if you want it. You think dogs don't want to run out of the backyard? I have a tiny little puppy. She yaps like crazy. She's a Yorkie, and she's like the most insecure, terrified animal in the world, but she will chase anything, anything that walks by, Rottweiler, Doberman Pinscher, doesn't matter. She'll chase it. So we put a boundary up that tells her you can go this far and no further, even though what's in your heart is to go chase that thing. The scriptures, church, are that boundary. The scriptures are the boundary that I can get right up to that fence and I might want what's on the other side, but because I fear the Lord and I'm willing to say, I will only do what you say to do and I won't do what you say not to, they protect my life. And these are the movements that Josiah makes. It's a choice. And the, first, the first challenge I have out of Josiah's life is to be a people that are willing to make that choice. I don't wanna just come to church. I wanna build a relationship with God. I want to begin to carve out systematic time. If you get our newsletter, 
which you can get by just signing up on the portal that you hopped in on Vintage Guest Network. I sent out a challenge for 1515 this year. Start with 15 minutes in his presence, just sitting with the Lord and 15 minutes in the scriptures. I don't have that kind of time. It's, you do, actually. I promise. It just means you gotta go without 30 minutes of sleep. Or you go to bed earlier and get that 30 minutes. But there are so many things in our culture that, that we will give ourselves to because they're easy. How many have ever lost two hours watching a movie and went, what did I just do with my life? <laughs> and I want to challenge us to something that I, it's okay if you say, you know what, I don't really want to do this. It's okay. Sometimes the right answer is I'm going to do the things that I know are right. And eventually, I had a pastor that would say this into my life all the time. Motion creates emotion. The right movements will lead you into wanting to do it. You may not want to in the beginning, but you will eventually. If we go on in Josiah's life, we come back to Jehoiakim. Like, who is Jehoiakim? This, this king that we come across in the first part of Daniel. And then we're setting this up so we have a good foundation for why we're studying Daniel and, and understanding what's going on. And Jehoiakim is on the throne. He's what's called a vassal. Anybody know what a vassal is? It's a paper tiger. Anybody know what a paper tiger is? Wow, let's find new words. It's a leader that's not actually leading. They're just there in, in function. They don't actually make any decisions. They're there because someone above them, more powerful, said, if you sit here and you do what I tell you to do, I'll let you enjoy all this privilege. So Jehoiakim, his name is Eliakim, has an older brother, Jehoahaz. When Josiah goes out to battle. Now, it's interesting. We're going to look at this decision because we talked about the choice Josiah made that was phenomenal. And, he, and out of that choice, he leads Israel into all these reforms. He purifies the city. He takes down all the ashram poles. He takes out all the idolatry and he moves them back into obedience to scriptures and they celebrate the Passover. In fact, scripture would say there had never been a king before him that moved the people towards God like he did. He makes this decision and for several years is, is fantastic. He's 26 years of age and he has this Passover celebration. He leads all of Israel into it. It says it was the, the greatest celebration of Passover that Israel had ever done. And you're like, what's Passover? Passover was the remembering his faithfulness celebration that God gave them to remind them that God had single-handedly provided for them and emancipated them from slavery in Egypt and he would for all time be their God. It was to be a yearly re remembrance. They had quit doing it because why would the kings who are evil want people to remember their God when they're totally living against God? So Josiah institutes all this, brings it back, restores it. And then he begins to work on the temple, starts building things. And we don't hear much about him. And then all of a sudden, there's a king in Egypt named Nico. He's a pharaoh. You, can, you want to go look him up, Pharaoh Nico. Nico II, I think is who it was. So where we're at in the period of time, we're at about 600 B.C., this would be the Neo-Babylonian Empire. This is right at the, as it bursts. We're, we're at the end of the Neo-Assyrian Empire. So the Assyrian Empire had been one of the most powerful empires in the world. And if any of you don't know what that is, let me put it in modern day movie terms. When you watch 300, you know that giant crazy looking king that comes out? He was actually one of the Babylonian Persian kings. That was Xerxes II. So this is the time period we're in. I know I'm super sci-fi nerd, Sorry. But you're talking about men of incredible wealth and power who could, with the snap of their finger, change the world. So that's this time period that we're in. 
So Nico comes up from, e- from Egypt and he comes up the Euphrates River and he's gonna meet with the Assyrians and they're gonna join together and battle against the Babylonians. And the reason they're coming up the Euphrates, they would work themselves up the waterways because water was a source of life in this part of the world and whoever controls the water, whoever controls the land up and down the river controls all the power and they can supply. And so they wanna get rid of the Babylonian. There's, there's a kind of a fight for position. And what we see in 2 Chronicles 35, 34 and 35, I wanna read it. It says, after Josiah had finished restoring the temple, King Necho of Egypt led his army up from Egypt to do battle at Carchemish on the Euphrates River. And Josiah and his army marched out to fight him. But King Necho sent ambassadors to Josiah with this message. So here's what's going on. Necho's coming up to do battle. Josiah hears about it. Necho's not coming to do battle against Josiah. Josiah hears about it and says, I'm going to go help out. I'm going to fight this guy. Listen to Nico's response. What do you want with me, king of Judah? I have no quarrel with you today. I only want to fight the nation with which I am at war. And God has told me to hurry. Do not interfere with God who is with me or he will destroy you. But Josiah refused to listen to Nico, to whom God had indeed spoken, and he would not turn back. Time out. Here we have Josiah, a man who's carved out a systematic encounter with God's voice. This is what the scriptures say, that he began to seek God. And out of that comes all these great decisions. And now we have a man who's going out to war. And the guy he's going to war with says to him, what are you doing? It's your God that told me to do this. What's the principle? Because there's something very important for us in this. What it reveals to us is somewhere in Josiah's journey, he had stopped his daily encounter with God. He had stopped hearing the voice of God. How do you know that? Because God told Nico to go to war with the Assyrians against the Babylonians. And there's a little hidden key in 2 Chronicles 35 that God makes a promise. And I want to read it for you. In 2 Chronicles 34, 28, God makes a promise to Josiah. I will not send the promised disaster against this city and its people. God was going to destroy Jerusalem because of Manasseh. Manasseh is one of the most wicked kings in the history of Israel, and God was going to judge the city because of the way Manasseh had defiled it. But because of Josiah's heart and his pursuit and his movement towards God, God says, I'm going to push pause on that. I won't destroy this city until after you have died and been buried in peace. Anybody catch that phrase, peace? God makes a prophetic promise to Josiah. Your life will be lived in peace. You will die in peace. Josiah actually goes out to war against Nico and dies in battle. That's not peace. Nico says to Josiah, why are you here? Your God told me to do this. You're in the way. Josiah refuses to listen, and I would submit this. It's the danger for all of us. Josiah had stopped his systematic pursuit of God's voice because it's the dangerous illusion for all of us that our past victories and our past successes begin to inform such a sense of security that we quit needing to interface with God. We get comfortable. And we decide, I don't need his voice, I got this. I would love to submit to us just a simple idea. To live in the safety of this place where we vet our life through the Lord's voice. Where we don't make decisions without talking to him because Josiah made a life-altering mistake because he didn't seek God. 
this same man who had changed a nation by seeking God. And it tells me that it doesn't matter what my pursuit is, it has to be perpetual and consistent. Does that make sense? It doesn't matter that I might have been a person that did all these things, that what matters is that I wake up today and I am a man found before God and I'm willing to give his voice access and I will lay everything in my life in front of him and say, I want you, I want what you have to say, I want you to speak into my life, here, you can have it all. And it's in this place that there's safety and there's security. Because Josiah dies in battle, the people put his son Jehoiaz on the throne. Nico goes to Jerusalem, takes Jehoiaz off, sends him to Egypt in chains and puts his younger brother on the throne and says, as long as you stay here and do what I tell you to do, you can be. And that's how Jehoiakim gets on here. Nico didn't succeed against Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, he got destroyed and it's the end, it was the end of the Assyrian and the Egyptian power run. And Nebuchadnezzar comes back to Jerusalem and says, okay, I'm gonna go fix, because, because Jerusalem was under Egyptian control now, as a, as a conquering king, Nebuchadnezzar has to come in and set up his own system. And that's where we begin Daniel. We begin with the fact that Nebuchadnezzar comes when Jehoiakim's on the throne and strips away all the best and brightest from Israel. All right, let's stand. <laughs>